Welcome to the On The Yard Podcast, powered by the R.W. Jones Agency. I'm your host, Ashley Northington, and I'm here to connect you with the trends, news, and events happening across historically black and minority-serving colleges and universities. Tune in each week where we will give you a dose of HBCU leadership and culture, one episode at a time. Hello and welcome to On The Yard. I'm your host, Ashley Northington. Today we have the distinct pleasure with hearing from Dr. Logan Hampton of Lane University, Lane College. Dr. Hampton, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you for having me. And let me just say from the start, speaking into existence. Okay, I'm university. Gonna, we'll play, we'll play Lane University. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wonderful. So I just we want to get to know you a little bit better. Tell me about your path to the presidency. I read that you were a, a pastor. It seems like leadership is in your blood. Tell me a little bit about how you got here. Yeah, so man, this is interesting. Um, I mean, it's a long answer and a short answer. I, so I, I studied biology when I was an undergraduate with this notion uh, of pre, pre-med. And I, um, I also, had, uh, had, had had a spiritual religious experience and had accepted the call to ministry. And so I had made my journey in undergraduate, studying biology, thinking medicine, uh, doing church work, youth ministry, supply pastoring, and thinking, um, thinking ministry or thinking medicine in the ministry. And in each instance, it's kind of interesting. I, I kind of had a crisis of of conscience and, and faith is it related to um, medicine at the point I got to the point where I was applying to medical schools and I was on a medical school tour and and the uh, student who was taking me on the tour said to me he said uh, talked about the sun catching you in uh, in the lab while you're trying to find the trying to discover the nerves on the hand and I thought that is not how I want to spend the next four years <laughs> in a lab, uh, you know, trying to discover nerves. And then uh, at the same time, uh, I was a track guy in undergraduate as well. Okay. And so um, I got my, I'm in my apartment. I've got my track uniform on. Well, I just have, I, I have a, a 1980s track uniform. Okay. You have to take your mind back there. And there's a knock at my door, and there's a. There, there's a, there are two ladies, and one of the ladies I know, she's a, she's a member of a church, and she's the church secretary, and then she's with a lady I've never seen before in my life. And the, the lady's husband has died. She's a member mm-hmm. of the, and they're members of the church. And I am now in charge of planning this funeral and taking them through this this process. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I've been to two funerals in my life. <laughs> And I just got this point, you know, for both medicine and ministry, you just never leave it. So I got to find another path. And the path that I found was uh, student affairs. I was very involved in student in student activities. And my mentor at the institution said, well, have you considered this? And I was like, oh, this is, I guess this is the job, you do it. And so I went to a graduate school and uh, started my journey uh, to uh, in student affairs. And my goal was to be a chief student affairs 
uh, officer. And uh, I, I rose to be a chief student affairs officer and eventually found my way back to ministry uh, as, as well. So uh, when I came to Lane College, I was serving as a chief student affairs officer and, and serving as a pastor in a church. And so Lane College uh, job comes available and uh, it is a it is a church affiliated school. It's affiliated with the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church, which I'm an ordained elder. And so I uh, I thought, man, this is this is a grand opportunity for me to combine my two lives, um, the ministry of salvation and the ministry of education. And so for the last uh, eight years, starting my ninth year, I have been uh, on this journey of this combined, for me, my combined ministry. I love that. I love that. So I told you it was a long answer. No, I, I, that was a perfect <laughs> answer. It was exactly what I wanted to know. So when you look across your career um, and you think about students and their yes. families, how have the needs and concerns of students changed? What trends are you seeing in that respect? And do the needs and concerns of students, do they align with maybe the needs and concerns that maybe your board of trustees um, has? And, and how do you bridge that gap? Yeah, so that's interesting. I, was, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a delicious question. I yeah, love that the thing. question is delicious, great. Uh, it's, um, I mean, and it, it could take us a while to unpack that. So changes, uh, changes among students. So my parents had no idea where the financial aid office was or the administration building at my undergraduate institution. They, and they were engaged and involved parents. Right. But they had, they, they had no idea they had no idea who any of my faculty uh, were at that time. And they were, they were engaged and involved parents. Uh, that has changed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I tease we have, uh, you say we have uh, helicopter parents. Oh, okay. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we, uh, we have a lot more parents. We have bold older parents. <laughs> so um, parents and the parent and student relationship is, is different. Uh, it is just not unusual. I, I give out my cell, my cell phone number to parents and students. And it's just not unusual for a parent or a student uh, to call me about the uh, uh, most important of issues and the most, um, um, the most uh, mundane of issues. I, I, I tease, I remember once, uh, a, a parent uh, calling me at uh, 2 a.m. about uh, not being able to find her son, and uh, and 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 it woke me up. I answered the phone, and I, I'm, I'm listening, and I'm thinking, is there an emergency? Is there is there a problem? And, and so while I am on the phone with her, I'm starting to text my security and persons. Is there something going on on campus? And and I'm not getting anything back of any concern. And, and so then it just is clear to me that this mother is just a loving mother who wants to be in contact with her son. And so now I'm trying to, I, my whole conversation has changed and I'm saying, okay, I understand that uh, XYZ fraternity had a party tonight, maybe he's there. I don't know, you don't know, but let's consider that 
no news is good news. Right. But if I hear something that is of a nature, I'll give you a call. So I think that's I think that's a change. And then having those then 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 the student expectation that the parent be engaged uh, in that way, uh, all the way from classes and grades. Uh, that in my mind is probably the the biggest change from I'd say when I was when I was in school and yeah. when students are in school. Now in 2022, um, I think it, we must we must talk about trauma, and uh, all of our students, as well as all of our faculty and staff, have arrived this year having been traumatized by uh, by the pandemic, and, uh, and for many of our students even. Uh, it's been a dual or a triple, you know, pandemic. It's the certainly is the pandemic of, of the coronavirus, uh, and everyone lost lost persons uh, in their lives. Uh, but then there's the the racial uh, pandemic that many of my students uh, experience uh, firsthand. And then um, you know, the the combination of those two uh, pandemic really uh, kind of elevated and accentuated the the the. the Financial, digital divide uh, that uh, that exists in our community, and so our students will come with that series of challenges that is that is just different. Mm -hmm. um, students in my generation, and maybe we did. Maybe I'm looking at my 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 college days, um, you know, through our lenses, but I. I don't remember my my students, my my classmates having the level of trauma mm -hmm. in their lives, mm -hmm. having lost uh, friends mm -hmm. and classmates to gun violence, to, and certainly not a pandemic. And they they bring all of that to the campus now, mm -hmm. uh, which is just different. And now now does our our board does my board see that and experience that? And, and, and do they know that? Um, they know it as we, as I share that with them. Sure. And I think they know it, uh, they know it intellectually. Right. Um, but it's a different thing to be in the trenches. Sure. You know, to be in a financial aid office and have a student that's just amped up to the top. And it's like, well, there's something else going on right. other than I just told you that you need to accept your financial aid, right? So I can apply it to your yeah. account. Mm -hmm. So there's something else going on. Mm -hmm. There's something else going on in the class when the student attends class for three, four weeks, and then just drops, drops off the face of the earth, mm -hmm. and then returns at midterm and says to the faculty member, "I'm ready to take my, I'm ready to take my midterm." So what? Where have you been? Where, where have you been? What? What? What happened? Mm -hmm. And so. Yeah, that's, it's a different lived experience. Yeah. But my board is a very sensitive board. They're very concerned board. And, um, but that is, but that, that notion there is, is, that's just a depth of understanding that it's going to take some time for all of us to better understand. So how do you think, you know, you're responding to this? Like, how is your institution adapting yeah. to this trauma? That you're seeing? Well, we, we, we've started at all levels. Mm -hmm. So we have these, recently, we, in the last uh, two years, we've identified these student success coaches okay. that are assigned to incoming students. 
and who are trained in all of the things that we, that, that student success coaches need to be, be trained in to help a student be a good student. But in addition to that, uh, we've also taken those persons through uh, trauma-informed training. Okay. And so we have trauma-informed academic advisory, trauma-informed student uh, engagement. Uh, we are continually working to expand the services of our counseling center. So the counseling center is not just a static office that you go over there to the counselor, but the counselors are coming out uh, to the students and just doing, you know, just unique kinds of programs. I mean, they might do a, do a thing where they might have a uh, uh, gather, gather a group of students and the students just express themselves through art, mm -hmm. uh, through, uh, through poetry, uh, through drawings, where they are having an opportunity to just release some of the, the tension that, that exists inside of them that, that prevents them from being and perform, being the scholars that they can be and performing at the scholarly level right. that they can perform at. So our students will hit hard. And I think it's probably across the nation. I mean, it's just the performance, academic performance during the pandemic has just been, um, um, I'm trying to find a kind word. It's just, it's not been up to bar. <laughs> yeah, I understand. So when you think about the trauma-informed approach and how you are servicing your students, does that also extend to your faculty? How do your faculty and staff get to have similar kinds of release? Thank you for that question, Ashley. Uh, thank you. Uh, this is somewhat cathartic. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm on your couch now. I love it, okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I was just talking to a colleague and, and uh, just a few days ago. And the colleague, uh, in a private moment, just said to me, I'm not okay. And it was a phrase about a year and a half ago that just experiencing the stress, I'm talking personally now, experiencing the stress of trying to manage an institution during the midst of COVID, trying to balance a budget, trying to get everyone paid, and, and literally trying to keep people alive. The stress of running the institution was just considerable. And in a, in a, in a staff meeting, my C-19, my COVID-19 meeting, which we started, initially we were having it every day, and then we, it's now, we've now got it down to once a week. But I said to my colleagues, I said, I'm not okay. And I want you to know it's okay for you to declare it. It's not, you're not okay. And we've got to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I started to refocus and my, you know, my, my, my vice presidents and others just grabbed that notion and in our college assemblies, in our conversations with one another, we're pushing one another, take care of yourself, take your break, take it. This is not the time to miss your vacation. We know you all love, you're type A personnel. Take your vacation, spend some time away. And then, then there have even been times when conversations and communications gets tense enough that uh, a supervisor will say to a colleague, take some time off. Yeah. Just, you need a break. You, you just, you're at a point. Mm -hmm. So yes, it, 
both for our, our faculty and our, our staff and, and for our students. Uh, this season has been a difficult season. Uh, but together, we're, we've made it to the fall of, fall of 2022. Yes. Yes, we made it, we made it here. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I'm kind of rambling now. So I, I, uh -uh. This, is, this is great. I, I want to commend you on the act of being vulnerable and letting people know, acknowledging, listen, I'm not okay, and it's okay for you to not be okay. How does that vulnerability, that level of compassion, how does that show up in your leadership style? Yeah, so I literally believe and lead with love. I, 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 love is a leadership principle for me, in that it, it guides my relationships, it guides my conversations, um, it is my it is my motivation. So I'm I and I and I do have to push myself and remind myself I'm be I be the love is a principle for me. Mm -hmm. uh, when I need to assume positive intent. Right. When when an email comes across my computer and my and it it triggers me. Mm -hmm. um, I have to then assume positive intent. Remind, remind myself of you leave with love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as I respond uh, to uh, to the person and assume that that they have the best interests of students in right. mind, that they have the best interests of the institution in mind. And yes, they're human beings, so their interest is going to be interwoven uh, into that, but, but the interest of the students and the institution uh, is there. And we have to continually remind ourselves of that. And so right. I, I start... I start right there. I start with with leading, uh, leading with love, uh, and still trying to be considerate and consistent right. uh, across the uh, in terms of how I deal with management, students, faculty, and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then uh, another uh, element of uh, and I take take some elements of ministry and bring them to higher education leadership is just presence. It's being present with my uh, my colleagues, being present uh, with my students. Uh, I eat in the cafeteria, mm -hmm. and I encourage my colleagues to eat in the cafeteria. And I say to them, I say, it's just better for all of us when when you're seen in that community. Right. I say it's it helps behavior, it helps to build relationship, it helps to improve the food in the cafeteria. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, it, I mean, it it all benefits. Mm -hmm. And so our folks in uh, dining services created a very portable. Uh, meal plan for for us to, to purchase so that we too can can eat in the in the dining hall and be present with our with our students. So I I I'd offer those things for me. I think I think love and consistency and presence are elements of my leadership style that I try to um, um, I try to practice. That's 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 awesome. I, I, I love that. So just switching gears just a bit, when you look out into the landscape and you think about everything that's happened over the last few years, what would you say would be the biggest sort of challenge that you think um, is facing um, HBCUs in general and then maybe Lane specifically? Uh, HBCUs in general. Um, you know, I, I think part of the challenge with 
historically black colleges and universities is not, it's not our problem, mm -hmm. but it's the perception okay. that others uh, have, have us, of us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, uh, it is, you know, someone says, how do we positively impact the lives of uh, African-American minority students? And what strategy should we do? Well, we'll go to research institutions all over the country, and they will do studies, and they will produce reports. So how do we, what should we do with first-generation students? Right. All over the country, do, there will be major institutions that will do studies, do reports. And it is, it is exactly what we do. Correct. We have, from our foundings, we've been those institutions that educated those who were it not for our institutions would not have had access to education. That continues today. Mm -hmm. And so we are the experts in how to educate first generation underserved, underprivileged, marginally prepared, bright, intelligent, capable, got all the swagger in the world, you can't tell them a thing. Yeah. We are the experts in this. And so you need not look for experts or look for a way to do this. Look at our institutions, mm -hmm. our institutions. We have. We are educating and graduating those who others would not, would not dare to educate and to give an opportunity to graduate. Right. And our students only want an opportunity. Right. So I'd say, for me, that is, having been in this space, spent time uh, outside of the HBCU space for um, uh, all of my career, uh, same uh, in terms of board service, and now being in this space, it is the perception outside. Our faculty are the great, some of the greatest faculty. Our students are just absolutely uh, wonderful. Campus culture, mm -hmm. the kinds of campus culture that we have at Lane College is the kind of culture that at institutions that I worked previously, we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to create the kind of culture that is created on our campus, the kind of uh, camaraderie and the spirit of corporate. Homecoming doesn't just happen because folks just say, I'm going to go back to homecoming. Right. We tried that at some other institutions. Right. No, the reason that we have the kinds of homecomings that we have is because folks are coming home. Right. It is because of the culture and the community and the care and the love. That's who we are. And so I'd say our main problem is the perception. And because of the perception, uh, there's a lack of investment. Uh, and that there needs to be greater and greater and greater investments in these institutions that are punching above their weight, yep. that are achieving against the odds, that are literally doing more with less. Yes. We need greater. Great investments. Invest in us. You invest in our institutions. 
give us an opportunity and just see what we will do. You can see what we've done with the little that we have. Right. I mean, Lane College is the most affordable institution in the state of Tennessee. We, grow, we educate the highest percentage of Pell eligible students of any institution in the state of Tennessee. Oh, really? Okay. Period. And so we're doing, we're running institutional Pell grants. Imagine what we might do right. if we had significant endowment. Imagine what we might do if we were, if corporates and individuals right. were making the kinds of investments in Lane College that they do in a political campaign. Right. And, and you put your money in a political campaign, you know, everybody except one, one lady is going to win. <laughs> gonna lose. Everybody, right. everybody else is going to be a loser. Right. But, uh, so if you got, let's just say, hypothetically, you got, you know, $10 million, or you got a, a, a one-time large gift, $20 million, $50 million. Let's just say, yeah. you know, Mackenzie Scott or Reed Hastings or yes. some of these folks, they wrote you a check for $100 million. Yes. What would you do with it? Yes, so I would start with deferred maintenance, and I would improve the deferred maintenance. We have historic buildings, and, mm -hmm. and we are, our institutions are historic sites. We have no, no interest or intention of removing those historic sites. I have the great pleasure of walking into a building on a day-to-day -day basis, look down at the floors in, in my outer foyer, and those 100-year-old floors, Bishop Isaac Lane, who raised the money to build, walked on those, walked on those floors. Mm -hmm. Saunders and Bray and J.F. Lane and Kirkendall and White and McClure, the, all the presidents that preceded me walked on those floors. I, 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 and the building has been modernized. It was, it, it, it was in fact, uh, modernized. But we have other historic buildings right. uh, that, that need a touch. Right. And we have, we have residence hall, academic buildings that need. So I would, I'd start with deferred maintenance. Mm -hmm. And so give my students that first look to say, an investor thought enough of you to do this, and this is how we, this is what we're doing for you. We're giving to you the most modern of facilities. And then, then we would look at the academic programs uh -huh. and say, what academic programs do we need to add to our liberal arts offering that would provide our students the opportunity to compete at a higher level? Mm -hmm. And we'd grow our academic programs. And then hopefully we'd have enough to uh, buttress our endowment and to build up build up our endowment. So I've got a couple of more questions. Uh -oh. And so I want to ask you this. If the federal government could do one thing to support your institution and institutions like yours, what would it be? Triple fail. Triple the fail. So the double fail campaign that we're on right now is we need to triple it. So when I was, so I testified to Congress, uh, my senator at the time, uh, Senator Lamar Alexander, at the mm -hmm. beginning of the pandemic, invited uh, several presidents to testify uh, as we were, as the pandemic was starting and thinking about how we were going to open in the fall of 20. Mm -hmm. And so um, he invited me to testify. And so uh, in preparation for uh, testifying, I met with our, our strongest, our strongest NICU, and I met right. with the folks at United Negro College Fund, yeah. and and so we worked. And the UNCF folks and I, we worked hand in hand, and uh, just kind of went back and forth. I wrote some notes, and 
and they would, you know, make some suggestions. And so, and I started out with triple fail mm -hmm. because I looked at my students and I thought at the time, if I could get, if you could get paid to 18,000, the total direct cost of attendance at Lane College is $19,400. That would mean my 90 plus percent students would have their undergraduate education wow. paid for. What percent of jobs, and what percent of jobs in the future will require post-secondary training? Most. Right. And so as a nation, if we are going to continue to be the exceptional nation that we are, if we're going to continue to be the world's superpower, mm -hmm. then we have a responsibility to lift up all boats. Yep. All boats must be lifted. Yep. All students must be lifted. Yep. All socioeconomic groups must have an opportunity to a high quality education. And in my instance, a high quality liberal arts education that that they that 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 student needs but then our nation and our world needs these minds to be educated beyond high school right and so making that affordable to me is it's the number one it's the number one issue yeah got it so i've got three more questions okay and these are questions designed to... I'm going to go quicker. I hear it. I hear it. Go quicker. No, 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 no. These are designed to get to know you a little bit better. Oh, okay. And so the first one is, what practice or activity keeps you grounded? So I start each day by reading uh, reading the Word of God and reading a little devotion. Uh, just to remind myself, it's not about me. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a greater power and that, uh, that I have some help. And so... And I start every day like that, and uh, that that keeps me grounded and humble. <laughs> yes. Okay. What's the best life advice you've ever received? So I had a president to tell me uh, about being uh, being president. So let me. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna whittle it down to being president. So I'm, I'm gonna start with being president. So uh, in, in the presidency. Um, Joel Anderson stopped by. He was on his way to a meeting, and his chancellor at my previous institution. He stopped by, had lunch with me, and uh, and I said to him, I said, you know, I really learned to, you know, to listen from you, and I learned that in in meetings that you were always uh, the last person to speak, and uh, and he, he he knew me, he knew that I like to talk, <laughs> <laughs> and he said to me, he said, well. He said, "Yes, you gotta, you gotta listen. You gotta, you gotta take in, you know, all of the, all of the voices." And then he says, "And be, the, and be the last to speak." And then he said, "And if you're the first, you better be right." I know that's right. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that has just, that has guided some conversations, and I can point to some conversations where I didn't do that, and literally stepped in it. Mm literally made major mistakes because I didn't heed that very advice to be the last to speak. Because I spoke too soon and made the wrong decisions. 
I'm going to take a clip of this and I'm going to blast it everywhere because there are some <laughs> folks that I know that need to heed that particular advice. Uh, and so my last and final question is this. If there was one thing that you wish people knew about Lane, what is that? Uh, that we have the most dynamic, creative, highly intellectual student body that you could imagine. And our students, they need an opportunity. In the same way that I would say to our community, trust Lane College, trust that we know what we're doing with this population. Trust our students, trust them, and give them an opportunity. You'll be surprised at how they might transform your community, transform your company, transform those who live in and around them. Give them an opportunity. Love it, love it, that is excellent. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the time today. <laughs> thank you for uh, agreeing to come and sit with me. I, this has been amazing. Thank you for joining us. And I, I thank you, and I thank you for insisting that I come. I did insist. That I got here. And uh, thank you for all your work and all that you do for her. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of On the Yard, powered by the R.W. Jones Agency. R.W. Jones is the nation's only strategic communications and issues management firm explicitly focused on higher education, serving more than 50 colleges and universities nationwide. Check back for next week's episode of On the Yard, where we'll give you another dose of HBCU leadership and culture.